0: Welcome to the for love of space podcast. I'm Paul Beatty. If you find yourself looking into the sky with awe and wonder, then this is the place for you. I'm not a scientist, physicist, or even an astronomer, but I am a guy who has an unquenchable love for anything and everything that has to do with space. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. welcome to this week's episode very excited to have you all here Uh, this is going to be a a, kind of a fun episode I think so I hope so Um, I believe so Uh, a few cool things to uh, talk about Um, one of the uh, things that I've uh, (laughs) kind of shake my head about um, when I think about the um, first episode or two and talking about the planets And, uh, you know, when you look back at some of the old radio programs, uh, some of the books, and one of the central themes on some of the real old ones, of course, was how habitable a lot of the planets in our solar system were. And you had the Martians, of course, and the Vesuvians, and and people, uh, you know, races that lived on the different planets. And now that we've sent um, probes to um, spacecraft to, Every planet in in our solar system, we know that's just not the case, um, but we still look for that signs of life. And mainly, when we talk about life on our planets, as we mentioned before, we're looking at microbial life. And we know we're not going to find the little green men. You know, uh, we're not going to do. We're not. That's not going to happen. There won't be beautiful cities uh, towering above the Martian landscape unless we build them there at some point. Uh, but we know that those things don't exist right now, the way the the planets currently are. But is there life on Venus? Uh, and it's kind of a crazy thought. Uh, yeah. Or is it? Right? Have uh, scientists detected what? Radio admissions come from the surface? Or did they spot a Venusian riding a hoverboard? Uh, no, nothing that dramatic at all. But what they have found uh, is pretty darn interesting. Um. And we talked about it earlier because surface of Venus uh, is really a pretty nasty place to hang out, right? It's very volcanic, uh, extremely hot. It has a very thick atmosphere, which causes that uh, an extreme greenhouse effect. Uh, so if you remember, uh, even though it's not the closest planet to the sun, it is the hottest planet. Uh, and just how hot does it get, you ask? Well, let's just say uh, it'll melt lead pretty readily. Uh, And and pretty fast. So lead on the surface of Venus would uh, be molten, of course. And we're talking average temperatures that get up around uh, 864 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 467 degrees Celsius. So extremely hot. Uh, Here in Texas, we think it's a brutal summer when it gets, you know, over 100 degrees with the high humidity. Nothing, nothing. Uh, Eight to nine times hotter than on Venus on a good day. Uh, So how is it possible that uh, they think that they may have detected some sign that could possibly indicate uh, life on Venus? So for the answer to that, you really have to look up. No, not from where you are now, uh, but from the surface of Venus. That's right, into the clouds. So if you're looking into the clouds of Venus, uh, as you leave the surface and you rise up into these cloud layers, uh, conditions change really dramatically. Uh we leave the high volcanic intensely hot surface, and you can enter a rather tepid zone depending on where in that cloud uh layers you are. Not that you would uh plan a vacation there, but the upper atmosphere uh clouds um are whipping around pretty hard, right? And the um, we know that some of the outer upper layers of the atmosphere have hurricane-force winds that blow around 224 miles an hour, and not mention that they're composed primarily of uh, sulfuric acid. So, not the really most habitable place to be. However, at certain altitudes and and estimations about 30 miles up from the surface into the clouds, uh, the temperature and pressures are really Uh, Similar to that that you'll find on earth so the real hot temperature extreme and the and the real strong winds aren't as bad you really have temperatures that you know can be in the 80s and and pressures that uh, are similar to that on on earth so uh with that being said then what's the hubbub well scientists using special telescopes And when you think of a normal telescope, you think of a visual telescope, radio telescope. Uh, These telescopes are designed to look for biological signatures. Uh, They're more looking at um, color and how the uh, absorption of light um, in the atmosphere. And they know that certain gases um, appear in a certain way on, on that kind of a graph if you graph it out how they absorb or uh, reflect light so when they're looking at this they notice that um, there is a element that they weren't expecting in the gases so they've did their data analysis and they determined that that they were detected the presence of phosphine in the clouds well the way they found it from from my understanding is that the typically uh, what happens is that phosphine doesn't reflect I, I believe it's the red band so when you look at the graph um, instead of the red going just nice line across there's a little dip in it And every time there's a dip uh, that can be an indicator of possible uh, detection of phosphine um, and they detected that several different times well phosphine um, Yeah, so what, right? Well, phosphine on Earth, um, besides being a component of rat poison, um, usually only exists uh, because it's a byproduct of either a dying or decaying organism or it's created in the lab. Well, since there's no labs on Venus uh, that are creating phosphine, then the other way that we know now anyway know of on earth is that it possibly could be caused by the decaying of microorganisms well if microorganisms are decaying then obviously there has to be microorganisms that exist in order for that uh, decaying to occur now the finding doesn't mean that there's definitive proof of extraterrestrial life uh, but it is very intriguing as to what's causing the phosphine to be there um, because, like I said, on Earth, it's microbes or human activity that can cause it. However, again, this doesn't prove that there's life in the Venusian clouds. Uh, there will need to be further delving into the data um, to make sure that there can't be something else that can cause a similar result, possibly a, uh, another chemical substance that might have close to the same signature, uh, kind of like a false positive, if you will. Um, also, there needs to be um, collaboration or independent um, findings from another source of the same finding. So, this is one source that found phosphine. There needs to be at least another source or two out there uh, using their own instrumentation, using their own data analysis, and their own standards uh, that come up with the same findings. Uh, it has to be some backing there and further research uh, undoubtedly is going to be done on this Um, it's also uh, rekindling uh, a urge for a lot of people to that have been wanting for us to further uh, investigate venus Uh, especially people who think that venus especially in in the cloud layers like we talked about might be ripe for life Uh, This really is inspiring them and really motivating them uh, to try to get the funding and get programs in place uh, to send more expeditions back to Venus and do further exploration on this. Uh, One of the uh, companies that I looked at that is actually doing this is called Rocket Lab. And Rocket Lab plans to launch a a satellite. Uh, They call it Photon. Um, And it's going to be, they have this, electron booster and it's about 57 foot tall booster and that's their you know propulsion to uh, to launch and they plan on actually doing that in 2023 Uh, once proton gets uh, close to venus they have a probe that it's going to launch and it'll launch it into uh, the clouds into the vesuvian uh, atmosphere Uh, that it'll it'll spend most of its time in the uh, habitable zone Uh, Again, and its main mission will be um, searching for signs of um, life, mainly, like I said, microbial life within the clouds. So pretty exciting. Uh, A lot of of people, again, jumping on board with that. Um, Some of the missions that may have not been able to be uh, picked before. Uh, As you know, there's a lot of uh, missions that get proposed every year. You can't do everything, don't have time and budget to do everything. Uh, so they have to pick the ones that make the most sense, uh, will yield the best scientific, uh, data, uh, and move, uh, the initiatives along. Well, now that there is that possibility lingering out there, and especially if another, um, entity can, uh, collaborate that, uh, it would, it would definitely add a little more, um, punch. So when they do go back up and present, um, this um, as a possible mission that uh it might get some more traction because of it, so it is pretty pretty exciting um, don't know what will uh actually come of it at the end um but if it it really does uh point more to microbes and then how do how would they live in that atmosphere um is this something that's being uh produced another way and that we don't know of here on earth uh again when you When you take what you know on Earth and you try to attach it to other planets and other stars, sometimes it doesn't work as well. But if it does, uh, then this could really be uh, uh, a breakthrough. Uh, If it doesn't, then, again, it's another type of breakthrough because, okay, what else causes this thing to happen that we didn't know of before? Uh, Then We can add that to our uh, book of knowledge, add that to our uh, intellectual database, and have a better understanding of how uh, things work in in other environments and other planets in the solar system. So pretty exciting. One of the um, other things I want to talk about is um, OSIRIS-REx and the asteroid Bennu. Again, with the asteroids, we've talked about asteroids before, their missions they are going on to different asteroids. We talked about... um, uh, Japan's um, mission in one of our previous episodes. So this one's a, a US base, it's out of NASA. Uh, it's called OSIRIS-REx and its its goal is to visit uh, Asteroid Bennu. Um, so why in the world is visiting asteroids so important that we're spending all this resources, time, uh, intellect on being able to do that? Well. Besides just the technology needed to um, be able to do that, uh, which when you think about it is extraordinary, you're sending spacecraft, um, you know, way onto the reaches of the solar system, you know, uh, into the asteroid belt or beyond the spacecraft that have visited, you know, the Kuiper Belt as well. So you really need technologies that allow you not only to navigate there, but you're going into a very tight orbit on a very small, relatively small object. Um, Bennu is about a little over the size of, uh, if you think of uh, the Empire State Building, it's taller than that. Uh, but in, in terms of a, a, a body in space, that's still pretty small. And to be able to navigate to that object, one, find it, two, fly to it. And three, getting to an orbit around it um, necessitates a lot of really great technology and uh, in, in some good engineering breakthroughs that can be applied and extrapolated into other things that we do in space. So why are asteroids important besides that? Again, it depends on who you're, who you're asking. Uh, but they are considered to be um, leftover debris from when the solar system first formed. Um, so looking at them can help us learn uh, more about the history of our our planets and, and the sun within our solar system. Also believe that Bennu might contain uh, molecular precursors. Uh, so things that came before uh, for the origin of life and uh, on Earth and Earth's oceans. Right. Um, it depends on on your on your set of, of, of beliefs. It also contains many of the natural resources that we need to help fuel our further exploration into space. Um, <laughs> I mentioned the expanse on the last episode, but this is one of the things that the expanse uh, has it has in it, too, is uh, not colonization of an asteroid, but the mining of asteroids. Uh, so if we are going deeper and deeper into space, it doesn't make sense to get you know halfway out, have to turn around, come home. Uh, restock, resupply, refuel, and then go out again. uh makes no sense to do that, but if we had way stations, if we had um, asteroids that we knew contained water uh, or other minerals and things that we needed, uh we could use those and mine those um so we wouldn't we could have those uh jump off points um as we go further and further into space, like outpost where well, we could get those resources where we wouldn't have to rely on coming all the way back to Earth for them. So why Osiris-Rex? Uh, what does it mean? Why did they choose that name for it? Well, a couple things. Uh, from what I read, the uh, they actually came up with the name. from. It's an acronym, which I'll get into in a second. And it just so happened to spell out Osiris. Well, when you look at uh, mythology, uh, the Egyptian god Osiris... Uh, kind of loosely parallels Osiris-Rex. Taken from the Osiris-Rex webpage, this is a quote from there, Osiris in his original form was believed to have spread an understanding of agriculture throughout the Nile Delta, hence bringing life to the ancient world. Likewise, Osiris-Rex seeks to return samples of an asteroid that may contain organics that led to the origin of life on Earth. Osiris also had a new role as the god of the underworld, which mirrors the destruction that large asteroid impacts have created. So that kind of kind of pretty cool that parallel. Um, so what does it actually mean? What's the acronym I mentioned earlier? Uh, it stands for Origins, uh, Spectral Interpretation, Resource Identification, Security, and Regolith Explorer. Now, when I talk about security, um, this is one of those uh, large enough asteroids that and and near-Earth objects that if it did uh, change trajectory and uh, change its orbit and hit the Earth, it could do significant damage. Um, So um, what the security, they're, they're looking at something called the Yarkovsky effect, which I won't get into, but it's basically forces that can change orbit and then make it potentially harmful for the Earth. So, Osiris-Rex launched in September, uh, September eighth, of twenty sixteen. It embarked on a, a seven-year round-trip journey, and currently, it is in orbit around Bennu. It's what's called a frozen safe home orbit. So, it's very tight, and it's staying in that in that in that same um, um, position. It's approximately 900 meters, so pretty close to the surface. It's just under 3,000 feet, about 2,953 feet above the surface. And on August 11th, um, OSIRIS-REx made uh, its first practice run of the sampling sequence. So it's gone down uh, several times uh, to um, make sure that different stages in the operation are working uh, correctly because uh, it needs to be able to... Um, decelerate, descend, uh, and then uh, take the sample and then come back up again. Um, so they're checking all those systems out before they do the final uh, push to get the finals, the actual sampling. They plan on doing that now because everything's been working good, systems are go. Uh, they're ready to do that sample on uh, October 20th is the target date if everything still looks good by then. So we're only a little over a month away, a month and a couple days away, uh, to get the first sampling, and this will be the first time uh from American Agency that uh sampling has been done on an asteroid so pretty cool and if you just uh i'm 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 a huge fan of this band uh, so this is kind of cool when I saw this and a lot of people already know this um the lead uh guitarist Brian may uh used lead guitars for Queen. Uh, For those who aren't as familiar with Queen, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, a lot of other really great songs that they did. um, And they're still a band, they're still together. Of course, the lead singer, Freddie Mercury, died many years ago. But they're still going on now, going strong. But Brian May is also an astrophysicist, and he's done a lot of great work, a lot of great science. And he, uh, him in working conjunction with some other people, I believe, uh, created a uh, stereoscopic image of uh, Bennu, which is really fun to look at. And stereoscopic is just means it's a three D image. So it has uh, two two images, side by side pictures. And you can look this up. You can Google it and find the image. Um, highly recommend it. It's, it's kind of cool to lo- look at. And so the left image is made uh, to be looked at left eye, right image the right eye. But when you come closer to the image and you kind of kind of cross your eyes and just relax. The images kind of form a third image in the middle, and when they do that, it gives you the depth to that picture, so it makes it into that kind of that three d image it's just you're tricking your mind uh to put it in three d so it looks really cool The picture uh isn't just a flat surface; there's boulders on on Bennu, which is kind of cool. Uh, They also found that uh, it ejects particles out into space every so often. Some of them sail away, some of them go into a little orbit, and most of them just fall back to the surface. But when you look at that picture um, stereoscopically, uh, that boulder, you can really see the depth to it, and it looks 3D. So check that out. It's it's kind of a fun thing, uh, pretty cool to look at. So I don't want to just tie our talks to just what the U.S. is doing, even though we're doing a lot of exciting things. So every once in a while, I'm going to, like I did with uh, Japan, I'm going to look at other countries and what they're doing. Because exploring space is the main thing, guys, right? It it crosses cultures. It crosses nationalities. Um, It doesn't matter. Exploration of space is what it's all about. So let's not just get hung up on uh, what the U.S. is doing. Let's look at some others as well. So today I just want to take a peek at China and just talk about a couple things they're doing. Uh, They're doing a lot. We're not going to talk about everything. But the uh, China National Space Administration is uh, doing some cool things. And they're interested in Mars, too, just like everybody else. And on July 23rd of this year, uh, China joined in a quest to understand Mars better by launching its first Mars probe. Uh, The mission name is uh, Taiwan-1. Uh, The name means, um, I've I've seen two different translations to what this uh, reference is. The first one is Questions to the Heaven. Uh, The second one is "Quest for Heavenly Truth. Both of them are pretty cool, though. Uh, It's taken from a poem um, by, I guess, a very, very well-respected, considered one of the greatest poets um, in the history of China, and he's way back in the BCs, I forget the years, but back in the VCs. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna absolutely destroy his name, so I apologize. Uh, but Q-Yuan is how I believe it's pronounced. Um, and it signifies their perseverance in pursuing true science and exploring nature and the universe. It's expected to reach uh, Mars around February of next year, 2021. Uh, it has three parts to it, it has an orbiter, but it also has a lander and a rover, so it does plan on not just orbiting Mars, but also sending a lander down and launching a rover uh, for uh, conducting scientific research and sampling. It'll orbit for about three months um, to locate the best landing site. So once it gets in that tight orbit, it's not going to immediately land. It'll send back uh, very uh, high-resolution imagery and to pick the best um, site to land and to sample. And they plan on actually uh, sending the lander down in May. So once it lands, the lander is going to deploy a rover. And it's going to study uh, geological structures, uh, the soil, uh, any distribution of surface water, any ice they can find, uh, material composition. It's also going to look at the, uh, at the atmospheric ionosphere and surface climate and environment as well as well as any physical field and internal structure of Mars. Uh, the rover is only expected to last about 90 Martian days, which is about three Earth months, so it is a very short-term project. And the orbiter has a lifespan of approximately one Martian year, which correlates to about 687 Earth days. China also has a presence on the Moon. Uh, some of you may have already known that, but they did. Um, launch uh the uh Chang's 4 probe on 12-8-2018 uh it did land safely and it, and this one that uh, was kind of unique because they sent it to the far side of the moon the dark side of the moon uh it always reminds me of a Pink Floyd song when I when I say that and they actually did that in January 3rd of 2019 is when it actually landed uh it's rover the U-2-2 also can be called the Jade Rabbit. Uh, has been uh, conducting scientific exploration of the uh, some previous virgin territory, like I said, the dark side of the moon. Um, it landed in the Von Karman crater, uh, which is in the moon's south pole at the uh, Aiken Basin. And one of the other things they're doing is they're actually building their own space station. Uh, they plan on completing it sometime in 2022, so just a couple of years away. Uh, they're naming the space station uh, gong Which means heavenly place. Uh, You notice uh, everything has heaven in the title, so uh, kind of a theme here. Uh, It's not going to be huge, but it will be able to accommodate three astronauts during normal operation um, or six uh, crew during uh, crew transfers. It will be in uh, low Earth orbit. And it's only expected to operate for about 10 years. Uh, but as we know with things in space, a lot of times we launch these short-term projects and they end up going on for years. We've had many, many spacecraft uh, that were originally designed for a particular mission. Uh, and some of them are still in operation today that have done a lot of other work. Well, that's going to take us to our Constellation of the Week. Uh, this one is a very easy to spot constellation when you look up in the sky um, and that is the constellation of Cassiopeia if you look in the uh, northeast after sunset you'll be able to uh, see a very distinct W or M shape depending on your perspective it gets its name from um, a couple different places either ancient uh, Ethiopian queen or from Greek mythology. Uh, But both of them say the same thing, that it's a queen who's sitting on her throne. When you look at the Greek mythology, um, this was a queen that was very vain, very boastful. And as punishment, she's been chained to her throne and destined uh, for half of the year to sit upside down. A couple other constellations that are close to her. uh, You have Cephas, which is her husband. And then you have um, excuse me you have so yeah, her husband uh, to the left, and you have Andromeda, her daughter who sits by, by her right side. We also know uh, Andromeda as our neighbor uh, galaxy, one closest to us that'll eventually merge with uh, the Milky Way. And right now is really the best time to view it. Anytime when you've got a a new moon, that's the best time to take a look because you'll you'll have your darkest sky. So if you can get out away from light pollution um, and get a good uh, set of binoculars or a telescope, it'd be a great time to actually be able to see the Andromeda Galaxy. A couple other notable features within um, the constellation of uh, Cassiopeia is the Heart Nebula which when you look at pictures of it, it's a really neat looking uh, nebula, it's, uh, br- it's red, it's a, an emission nebula, and then right next to it is the Soul Nebula, so you got the Heart and Soul Nebulas, uh, that's also an emission nebula, uh, also referred to as a Embryo Nebula, and it's referred to as that because of the open star cluster that's embedded within it. There's also a supernova remnant, Cassiopeia A, which is also called the Pac-Man Nebula or the White Rose uh, Cluster. So go out, take a look up in the nighttime sky. Uh, Mars is still big and bright and red. Uh, Jupiter's still real bright. Uh, Saturn's bright but dimming. And, but lots to see in the sky. Just look up and enjoy it. Uh, that's what that's what this is all about. Just loving space. that'll wrap up this week's podcast make sure to join me next week as we continue our love affair with space you can reach me with feedbacks and comments at twitter at for the love of space and remember if you don't love space what's the point